Hi, church. Here we are. It's Sunday night. We do Sunday night church. We're uh, wrapping up the next couple of weeks our study in Romans that was started quite a while ago before the pandemic. We're actually up to part 61. We're halfway through uh, chapter 15. Don't forget, you saw uh, Murray talking about some of our projects. Next Sunday's World Impact Sunday. It's just a big, big day in our church. And uh, those that will be gathered in the sanctuary Sunday morning and the live stream Sunday morning. Um, something you should know, because I'm sure there are some people who see this and you may want to give to missions. You need to know that when we have World Impact Sunday, like we will November 15th, every penny, every single penny, I guess we don't do pennies anymore, but every nickel that comes in, all of it, not any of it stays at CDV Church. We send out every cent to those specific projects. And so you can, if you're maybe not a regular attender of our church, but you want to be involved in our World Impact Sunday, the money that you give does not go into our coffers in any way, shape, or form. It's in, it's out to those projects. And uh, if you want to get involved in that, boy, please do. We'd love to, we'd love to have you involved. Tonight, Romans 15, the letter that changed the world, part 61. And here's the title. How Jesus imparts life through his church. How Jesus imparts life through his church. Let's look at verses 22 to 33 of Romans 15. If you have a Bible, uh, either turn it on or open it up or go get a Bible. Paul writes and says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now... Since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. He's going to take an offering. There's poverty, and he's going to help them out financially. 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So these places took up offerings. They were pleased to do it. Then he says, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected. I will leave for Spain by way of you. 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. What a wonderful phrase. 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, they'll be after him, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's striking, isn't it, that that Paul, though one of the dominant leaders in the New Testament, second only to Luke, 
in volume of writing of the New Testament, it's significant that he didn't consider his own office or ministry or role, he didn't consider it apart from his need to be nurtured by a local church. I love that. So, so all through this text, we see Paul in his relation to fellow disciples in, in the local congregations of Jesus Christ. And I, I just point that out because these, um, these are kind of in certain quarters, tough days for the local church, even outside of the pandemic. Many in the progressive theology movement are pretty open and vocal in their praise for Jesus and in their coolness to the local church as we know it. Jesus they like. Organized church, not so much. And so more and more, um, there, there are those who treat their commitment to Jesus and their commitment to the local church as two separate commitments, as though you can split them up. So it's a bit encouraging and increasingly countercultural to see the Apostle Paul knowing better than most all of the faults and blemishes, shortcomings and sins in local congregations. It's still refreshing to see him expressing something of his longing to be with these people in this local congregation. He wants to be with this local congregation desperately and be refreshed by them. I love it. He seems to say he can't survive without these precious brothers and sisters, even though he is the Apostle Paul. He can't wait to be with them. Not to preach a sermon, not to compose his next letter, but but to get with these members of a local church, 1532, and to be refreshed in your company, he says. So for all its faults, Paul says, boy, I I need the local congregation. Boy, the church is good. And he tells us by his own hunger for association, not only is the church good, it is necessary. He's a world traveler, a Christian spokesman, apostle, extraordinaire, and he craves a local church. I just love that. Point number one. Everything about Paul's relationship with Christ is better in the church than outside of it. I get that in 22 to 24, Paul says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, we talked about that last Sunday night, since I have longed for many years, longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. See, to me, those are heart words. They're not just head words. I have longed for many years to come to you. I hope to see you. I long to be helped by you. I want to enjoy being with you. So so Paul has this deep emotional attachment to believers in a local church. You get the impression You don't get the impression, rather, that he can just take or leave it. He's filled with this sense of anticipation, longing at the prospect of their prayers and their fellowship. And this isn't the only time you see it. You'll see the very same thing. We studied these words, of course, quite a while back. 
The same idea in Romans 1, 19 to 15. Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well among the rest of the Gentiles. He says, I, I, did you see the words? I, I pray that I will be able to see you. I long to see you. I want us to encourage each other with our spiritual gifts. Boy, it's humbling. I mean, I just ask myself, how many times do I pray that I will be ready for all that God has for me in a local church on Sunday? Granted, it's different now. Meeting is not as easy as it used to be. It's not convenient. It wasn't convenient for Paul either, for that matter. Do, do I pray that God will enable some work to be done in me through Bible study on Wednesday? I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm, I'm just saying Paul was, Paul was passionate about joining with other believers in the church. And you get the impression, maybe not as commonly expressed today, that Paul's enjoyment of the fullness of God in his own life, it seemed to be tied to gathering with other Christians in a local church that shared his same passion. So, so you get the impression Paul would see more of God, experience more of God, enjoy his walk with God more in a local church than on his own. So in other words, if, 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 if I try to relate to God on my own, I will encounter more doubt more discouragement, more failure, more spiritual drought than I would if I just got together with believers in a local church. Point number two. We need the spiritual refreshment of the local church because, now there's a reason, serving Christ while always fulfilling can come at a high expense of effort. I see that in uh, 15, 25 to 28, Romans 15, 25 to 28. Paul says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. How quickly I do this, how quickly I can read a paragraph like that without, without seeing what's really going on. The only thing that makes Paul's assignment of charity look simple is just his uncluttered resoluteness in describing it. Paul writes these words from Corinth. From Corinth to Jerusalem was about 800 miles. 
from Jerusalem to Rome was about 1,500 miles. That's 2,800 miles. Much of it by very rough and slow sea voyage. Paul, Paul didn't travel on the Concorde. There were no high-speed passenger trains. So this trip, this thing Paul says, I got to do this first. That's all he really says. This trip would take Paul months and months. Here's, here's what we know for sure. For Paul to execute this assignment, he would end up shipwrecked on the island of Malta. This in addition to three other shipwrecks that he was going to experience. One full night in the deep. All of this, all of this to get this offering to a local church. Well, what does it take to serve Christ? Uh, quite a bit. It's joy producing, but it's rarely convenient. So, so the call of God is never to be measured by just which road is easiest to travel. It, it can be a, a challenging thing to measure God's, it can be a dangerous thing to measure God's will solely by which doors seem to be open the widest and which ones seem the easiest to go through. Sometimes that works, but it's not a good idea to make that the only test. I mean, if Paul measured God's will for this assignment by what might have looked like closed doors at least four or five times, he would have turned back after his first shipwreck. Not to mention the fact that when he finally got to Jerusalem with this love gift, he was thrown into prison. No, when you follow Jesus, you, you do things because you know, you know God wants you to. You, you, you don't usually discover they're simple and unchallenging. Well, then why did, why did Paul bother Pastor Don? And I don't know how to answer that except to say, why did Paul bother? Because everyone has to put something at the center of his or her life. Everyone has to put something at the center of his or her life. And if you don't choose something big and real and challenging and consuming and exciting from God at the center of your life, you're going to put video games or hobbies or your Facebook friends, your party friends, the Leafs, the Argos, dancing with the stars, or what promotion's coming next at work. You'll put something at the center of your life. You're going to do something with your time. Either something fleeting and amusing or something big and rugged and eternal. You'll either do something you can keep forever or something that just the corrosive rust of mortality and time will steal away. So don't look for something easy. Look for something big, Christ-centered, challenging, sacrificial. Put something big in the middle of your life. Three, I love this point. Paul trusted in the power of united prayer, not just his private prayer, of united prayer to change people's stubborn wills. I get that in, in verses uh, 29 to 33. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He seems pretty confident. How does he know this? 
I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers on my behalf. That's how he knows. And strive together in your prayers to God on my behalf, 31, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saint saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Okay, as I just start to wind this up, I see I see two themes running through these verses. They're very different. Two themes and a, and a common thread, if I can put it that way. The two themes are warring intercession and spiritual refreshment. Those are the two themes. The common thread is the corporate prayer ministry of the church. So, so we should note these. First, Paul wants the church to strive together in prayer. And then he wants to be refreshed in their company. So, so under this last point, A, striving together in prayer. Do you see it in 30 and 31? I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. I know it seems a bit obvious to point out, but Paul pleaded for this church's intercession with the conviction that the corporate prayer of the church could change the actions of people stubbornly opposed to Paul and to Christ. Like, he thought their striving together in corporate prayer could change the response of these people. I mean, there were people violently opposed to Paul's ministry in Jerusalem, and, and Paul wanted the church praying together that they wouldn't over, it wasn't that he wouldn't be hurt or inconvenienced. No, that, that these people wouldn't overpower the advancement of the gospel. There was opposition. Everybody pray together with me that the opposition won't stand against the gospel of Christ. That's, that's Paul's concern. That's his conviction. Do we still live in that kind of world? I mean, I mean, aren't there powers that labor specifically to discredit the cause of Christ and the name of Christ? Aren't there places still on this planet where nations officially rise up with false gods and false religions, just fighting to stamp out the name of Jesus Christ, God the Son? Believers have already died today at the hands of such enemies of the cross of Christ. So, so uh, you know, just how important is the church's intercession? The united intercession of the church? Or, or is, you know, is it easy just to come to the place where we believe our prayer assignment is completed just by our personal devotional times? But that's really not, it's really not the kind of prayer Paul's talking about in these precious verses. Verse 30, strive together with me in your prayers. 
The idea here is that Paul saw corporate prayer of the church, united, striving, corporate prayer in the church. He saw that as the frontline offensive in the battle of Christ's kingdom in this hostile world. I, I always find these words so challenging. When you, when you look at the same idea in Ephesians 6, just pulling out, say, verses uh, 12 and then 18 and 19, Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given. Whoever whoever said, you know, you don't need words for the gospel has just not read these verses. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the ministry, the mystery of the gospel. I know you read Ephesians 6 and there's other parts of armor mentioned, but I think I think the attitude that the church takes to corporate prayer best identifies, more than any other pieces of armor, it best identifies where we perceive the battle to be. The sphere of engagement. And Paul Paul calls us to prayer because we're so prone to other things. It's a simple fact of New Testament congregational life, that one of the primary duties of the local church is to strive together. Paul said, there's enemies out there. Strive together in prayer for me. I said there were two themes. B, here's the next one. Being refreshed together in fellowship. So enemies striving in prayer and then being refreshed together in fellowship. I get that in 32 and 33. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy, and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Yes, there are battles to be fought. Yes, that can be extremely tiring, challenging to body and soul. And one of the, one of the most common errors, I guess, is this idea that if we just draw away, get alone, even even from the local church, because we're just so spiritually drained and worn out. And, and there is time for seclusion. There is time from rest for normal routines. We all need that. I get it. But we also need this reminder that there's, there's another form of spiritual weariness, not just physical fatigue, spiritual weariness that mere seclusion and silence won't relieve. I think Paul explained how this worked in Romans 1.12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Those, those who are growing weary are to be fed by the faith of others. That's what he's saying. And then, at some other time, the roles will be reversed. Everyone needs refreshment of faith from the ministry of the local church. I think that's what we're meant to see in this emphasis in Paul's thought of being refreshed in your company. 
32. Refreshed in your company. This is, this isn't just the peace of personal rest and serenity and seclusion. There's a place for that to be sure. But Paul's teaching here is that that kind of rest will never do for your faith what the church can do. Physical rest can help you overcome physical weariness, but there's another kind of refreshing that's being talked about here. It's a spiritual refreshing that goes deeper than physical rest. It, it touches a different part of your being. That's, that's actually the root of these pretty famous words in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast. You feel the tension here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, not wavering. See, there's the weariness, the weakness, the challenge. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another. There's the one another part. To love and good works. If you're not going to waver, look at Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit gets to be a habit. It just gets to be a habit but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So note those words carefully. They they get to the core meaning of what Paul described as being refreshed by your company in Romans 15. You can rest physically just by laying down. The refreshing of the church that Paul describes in 32 is a refreshing that helps you stand. So we covered a lot of turf. Let me try and do a wrap-up. Here are the key thoughts, okay? Maybe you can jot them down. First, every experience of grace will be deepened in the corporate life of the church. Never let anybody tell you otherwise. Second, fill up the center of your life with service to God. Put something big at the center of your life. Third, remember that even stubborn hearts can be moved by corporate prayer. That's the battle. It'll be won by the church as she prays. And fourth, stay refreshed in faith with the company of the saints. So cherish, cherish these times, even times like this that we have tonight. Use them to fortify your own faith. Always have these goals in mind when you think about the church. Let's pray. It is a good text. Even if the speaker is weak, the text is good and strong and solid. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and just enliven these truths in all of our hearts. Help us to remember the things we need to remember, not to neglect things that are so important, even at this difficult time. Bless our World Impact Sunday. Let all the needs be met and raise up people to go from our church family. And so bless us as we work together to take the gospel around the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Join us for our prayer time.